0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Get ready for Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator.
1: Tim Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator.
2: It's a sad fact, but very few murderers ever amount to anything. They're in such a killing profession, and when they come to the end of their rope... There's always a noose
1: attached to it. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: Craig speaking. Ever noticed the fact that the work a man does leaves its mark on him? Nine times out of ten, you can spot a doctor, a lawyer, a butcher, a baker half a block away. I wonder what a confidential investigator looks like. <laughs> he looks like me. I figured the above philosophy represented a good day's work. The shadows were creeping along Madison Avenue. I got out of the office... And I locked the door behind me. Maybe I could fool a burglar into thinking I had something worth stealing. I hoped I wasn't waking Jake. A night elevator man needs his sleep. Something was wrong. He'd started the elevator up almost before I'd finished pushing the buzzer. You can spoil tenants awful fast that way. Jake? Hey. You suffering from insomnia? No. You've been reading a book on how to get ahead in the world? No. Well, uh, stop chattering and let's get started. Well, you got the door shut fine. Now we're supposed to go down. Oh, glad you reminded me. They didn't have any elevators down on your farm in Vermont. No. It figures.
0: No office buildings, neither. That figures, too. No shiny cars, no blondes.
2: What did you do during the long winter evenings?
0: Decided to leave the farm, Mr. Craig.
2: <laughs> well, right about now is when you open the elevator door.
0: Ain't sure I should. Why? Taint the farm.
2: Meaning uh, we've got elevators, office buildings, shiny cars, and uh, a blonde? Yep. I'm not afraid of blondes.
0: Back in Vermont, because her pop usually carried the gun.
2: But here? She's carrying it. Must be a strain on her. Open up, Jake. Yep. Where'd you hide her?
0: The shiny car. Outside? That's the one.
2: Oh, I like them, that shape. Long, rounded, smooth. You mean the car? Oh, sure. Far as the blonde goes, there's not a wrinkle or a
0: gun on her. A bag. Oh. I see it when she parted her nose.
2: Well, uh, maybe it's a trick cigarette case. Yeah. She could be waiting for somebody else.
0: Nobody else in the building.
2: Then I'd better not keep her waiting. After all, you can only die once.
0: Once is enough.
2: Don't remind me. Besides, blondes rarely have any reason to shoot me. Posting? Just being wistful. Good night, Jake.
3: Night, Mr. Craig. I've
2: been waiting long. Not very. Beautiful night. Isn't it? The name's Craig. I know. Well, Jake could be wrong.
3: Who's Jake?
2: The Nightman.
3: He wasn't wrong.
2: Then I get in. Please. Okay. Well, the name's still Craig.
3: I'm Mona Walsh.
2: Mrs. Walsh.
3: Mrs. Walsh.
2: How's Mister Walsh? Uh,
3: that's why I was waiting for you.
2: We're going to see him.
3: I hope not.
2: I could think of an easy explanation. Mona Walsh had seen me, had been carried away by my rugged physique and my mildly scrambled features, and was now carrying me off to a tryst among the pines, or maybe the maples. It was too easy an explanation, and it didn't include the gun. We're going someplace, or just cruising?
3: I'm trying to find words. The best way to tell you.
2: I've been a confidential investigator for quite a while. You don't have to find the best way.
3: My husband isn't Mr. Walsh. He's Ted Walsh.
2: Well, what difference is that? Wait a minute. Ted Walsh?
3: That's right. The Ted Walsh.
2: If I remember my newspaper headlines correctly, he's killed a few men here and there. Yes. His last little effort was robbing a bank someplace in Massachusetts.
3: And killing a guard. And
2: killing a guard. Nice guy.
3: I didn't know what he was when I married him. You probably won't believe that.
2: If you turn out to be a client of mine, I'll have to believe it. Well,
3: it's true. I didn't know until just recently. When I found out, I left him. Came here to New York.
2: Fair enough. You're in the clear. What's bothering you?
3: Ted's in New York, too.
2: New York's a big place.
3: Ted's terribly in love with me. He came here for only one reason.
2: You could keep your door locked.
3: Oh, please, don't joke.
2: I wasn't joking. Keep your door locked and your telephone handy. The police would be glad to remove him from your doorstep.
3: Ted would spot him. Then he'd know I told the police about him. He'd get away from them. He'd done it before. He'd kill me.
2: Possible. But
3: if you watched for him, he wouldn't spot you. Then, as soon as he came, you carry a gun, don't you?
2: I've got a license, too.
3: Well, then everything would be all right, wouldn't it?
2: Might be. There'd be a fee.
3: I, th- I thought perhaps... Five hundred?
2: Oh, that's too high. I generally get fifty a day in expenses.
3: That doesn't seem enough.
2: I run a one-price shop.
3: Well, all right.
2: This your place?
3: Yes.
2: Well, let's get out. Small house. Stay there alone? Yes. I can see why you'd worry.
3: Uh... I I feel nervous, exposed, standing around
2: like... Well, we'll try the house. I'd better go in with you.
3: Of course.
2: In case he's a little early. Oh, I haven't thought of Don't get excited. I'm probably too careful. But we'll check anyway. Got your key? Oh,
3: here.
2: Uh, over to the side, huh? N- what? The lamppost out front throws some light. The house is dark. You'd make a nice target.
3: Oh, all right.
2: Yeah, So far, fine. Light switch near the door?
3: To the left on the way inside.
2: Okay, stay where you are. Clear enough. Come on in. Got a latch on it? Uh Uh-huh, good. Rest of the house now. I feel like a termite inspector, except uh, termites don't kill, do they? Mr. Walsh was not at home. Mrs. Walsh felt good about it. I didn't have time to get uh, philosophical about marriage. I checked the back of the house for good measure. A high fence took care of the garden and the back door. There was only the front door to worry about. You're alone in the house, Mrs. Walsh? Yes. When I shut this door behind me, you'll lock
3: it. Of course.
2: Then, if your husband comes calling,
3: I'll be safe.
2: You won't have to use that gun you're carrying around, anyway.
3: Uh, you, you'll be out front someplace.
2: Yeah, the nearest convenient doorway. I'll find one. It's one of the things you learn fast in my business, how to find convenient doorways. So long, Mrs. Walsh. So long. There was a small nightlight over the door. That was nice. It would light up Mr. Walsh neatly if he visited. I had my choice of two or three doorways from which I could watch the Walsh house and be close enough to have a clean shot at Ted Walsh. I passed them all up. I was looking for a phone, and I found one in a drugstore half a block away. Craig here. A move tonight, eh? Watch those college words. People will think you're educated. I am. Tonight, you're not ashamed of being a college graduate, Lieutenant?
4: I'm all alone in the office. Nobody Mm. will ever find
2: out. I'll tell them, Trev.
4: Unless I do what? (laughs) No
2: blackmail. I want some information, though. You might have it.
4: You flatter the department.
2: It's about Ted Walsh.
4: Walsh? We'd like some information about him, too. For example, where to get in touch with
2: him? I haven't got it. Trav, on that bank job he pulled in Massachusetts, was it a solo flight?
4: A bank job's never solo, especially one involving $60,000.
2: But Walsh was definitely in on it.
4: So definitely, he killed a guard. Thanks, Trav. Hey, uh, wait a minute. My curiosity's aroused.
2: Try a cold shower. Good night, Trav. (laughs) That, for what it was worth, was that... I went back to Mrs. Walsh's little gray home in the west. It looked the same. I pushed the button. Who is it? Mary Craig. Leave the door on the chain, but open it a crack, huh?
3: All right. What's the matter?
2: I've decided to throw up the job. What? Yeah, I'm resigning.
3: But I don't understand.
2: It's a clear saving of 50 bucks for you. Why are you... Let's say the hours are too long, huh? Good night, Mrs. Walsh. (laughs) She was saying something as I went down the walk and away from the house. I didn't bother listening. I had to drop her. You see, I always believe a client, and Mona Walsh, however beautiful, was a liar. But however much of a liar she was, Mona Walsh was beautiful. So I hung around in one of those convenient doorways. With me apparently off the job, she'd need somebody else to keep Ted Walsh away from her. There wasn't much time left either. She wouldn't take a chance trying to find another gullible private detective. I was interested in who she would find. It took maybe a half hour for my replacement to show up. He was an anti-doorway boy. He picked an alley. I thought he looked lonely, so I dropped in on him. Hello. Hey, who? The name's Craig, Barry Craig.
4: What do you want? I'm trying to find out what's special about this alley. Nothing. I'm crazy about alleys, that's all. You're sticking to that? Sure. Then... uh, Uh, Oh! Thought you'd be packing one. Why? You ain't got no right taking a guy's gun. I'm a lot bigger than you are. Would you like to argue about it? Well, there's a... There's a dame in that house. Ted Walsh's wife. She's kind of worried he might show. She doesn't love him anymore? Well, I wouldn't know nothing about that. The orders was he don't get to her.
2: What does he get Never mind. Who's got all the big concern for Mona Walsh?
4: Oh, why don't you leave me alone? What's your angle? Maybe I want to send your boss flowers because he's humanitarian.
2: Feed me your name.
4: I didn't tell you nothing, understand? Of course. It's, uh, Mr. Harold. Harold? Yeah, but remember, you didn't get it from me.
2: I'll remember. Here's your gun. Oh, yeah. I'm worried about Mona Walsh, too.
4: Oh, you don't have to worry about her. Nobody will get the
2: jump on me again. I hope not. So long. You start with the kid stuff. Snatch and run. Knock over a couple of small stores. Move up into the hot cars and cold decks. Go on to delivering boats a few seasons. Take over a few wheels. Buy a few debts and you wind up being Mr. Harold. But by then, you wear tailored suits and handmade shoes.
4: Now, what's the idea? This hour
2: The name's Craig. Oh.
4: Oh, Craig. I've seen the face around. Wait a minute now. You a private eye? Call
2: it confidential investigator. Makes it seem more dignified.
4: Yeah, well, call it what you want, but get out of here. Not
2: until I see
4: Harold. Let's make it Mr. Harold, huh? And he ain't seeing you. I the type that appeals to him. He's seeing me. You're pushing your luck or something? When I say you don't see Mr. Harold, you don't see him.
2: So far, it's only your word. It's
4: more than a word.
2: Everybody's
4: got one. Yours licensed? No, you care. Keep pushing, and you're a trespasser. Yeah, Mr. Harold. What's the trouble? Yeah, I'm having words with a private eye who wants in. Oh, indeed. Let him in, Bogan. I haven't seen
1: one in years. Okay. Who knows? He may want to have his license renewed. Not exactly. The name's Craig. Uh, Bogan, put that gun away and leave us. hmm? Okay, Mr. Harold. Bogan is so impulsive.
2: A little crude, too, or haven't you noticed?
1: He uh, doesn't polish easily.
2: It's getting late. Uh, What's half of $60,000, Harold? $30,000. That kind of money worth a debt? I haven't seen the latest quotations. Ted Walsh knocked over a bank a couple of weeks ago. Killed a guard and collected $60,000. Hmm,
1: an enterprising young man.
2: He had a little help. The way I figure, it was 30000 for Ted, 30000 for uh, the help.
1: Seems equitable enough, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, but Harold, uh, how do you share the debt? Harold needed a little time. I let him have it. The room was nice. Good furniture, oak paneling on the walls. Small Renoir hung just where the light would hit in the mornings. A girl brushing her hair before a mirror. She looked like someone I'd seen and for a minute I couldn't remember where. She looked like the girl who'd married Ted Walsh.
1: You uh, must have some interest in the uh, rather sordid subject of Ted Walsh and his uh, peccadellos. Why? Mona Walsh. She tried to hire me.
2: She's a lovely girl. You wouldn't hire? She lied to me Sad She wanted me to protect her against her husband She'd heard he was here in New York She didn't tell me who told her Why? I really couldn't say She wanted me to stake out in front of her house So when Walsh got there, I'd take him But Harold, um, how would Ted Walsh have found her house? She wouldn't have told him, not if she was really afraid of him.
1: Isn't all this Mona Walsh's problem? No, uh,
2: Ted Walsh alive gets half of the $60,000. Ted Walsh dead gets a mouthful of dust in Potter's Field. How picturesque. The problem is uh, how to kill Ted Walsh without annoying the police. The answer is, hire a private detective, let Ted Walsh know where his lovely wife is, and uh, he heads for her. The private detective kills him. All nice and legal.
1: I suppose it would be.
2: Harold, (laughs) you picked me to kill Ted Walsh for you. You're ruining my time. Sorry, I have trouble with my temper sometimes. I don't like being a hired gun,
1: Harold. You turned the job down, didn't you? What more do you want? I don't know.
2: Maybe I'm worried because a liar is so lovely. I got out of there. I could have gone to lots of other places after that, but I didn't. I went back to my office and sat. I didn't have any doubts. Harold had set up Mona Walsh as a decoy. When I cried quits, one of his men moved in to protect her. Harold wanted Ted Walsh dead so he could hold on to all of the 60,000. And maybe Mona Walsh, too. It was an idea I didn't enjoy. I stopped having it. I was waiting without knowing what I was waiting for. I thought it might be nice if I had a Renoir to hang next to the dusty license on the wall. Then I thought of the people and the motives that kept me in business. I decided the Renoir wouldn't fit. The hours dragged by and I stopped kidding myself. Nobody phoned. Nobody would phone. I'd get up and go home and go to sleep. I got up but I didn't go home. The street in front of Mona Walsh's house was empty and cold. The lights in Mona Walsh's house were out. And the boy in the alley wasn't there anymore. I was wrong. I hadn't gone deep enough. The alley closed in on me, and then... I found him. He was propped up against the wall, his legs straight out before him, his head slumped down over his chest. He might have been brooding about the blood that had poured out of that chest if he hadn't been so completely dead. I left him there. He'd keep. He'd been dead some little while. Somebody had shot him. had got past him into Mona Walsh's house. The lock on Mona Walsh's front door was in fine shape, except that the door wasn't locked. The living room was the way I'd remembered it. I went into the bedroom. She had fallen back across the bed. The stain on the front of her dress hadn't been her dressmaker's idea. Uh, Hello? Mrs. Walsh.
3: I thought, I hoped maybe I'd see you again.
2: Hold it. Emergency. An ambulance. 435 Ash. Gunshot wound and make it quick. Yeah.
3: Mr. Craig.
2: Better not talk. Why? There'll be a doctor here in a couple of minutes.
3: You've seen people like this before. I should be dead.
2: Will you stop talking?
3: No, I won't. What do you want me to do? Think about what my life has been. Shouldn't have married Ted. It's bad.
2: Now you don't have to
4: lie I'm
3: make... not making excuses. Only things happen. You lie about them. Even to yourself. Now I don't have to lie anymore.
2: Once the doctor gets here, oh, you... Oh,
3: please. It's all going so fast now. Kiss me. Good night. I... When I was a little girl, my father always... Sure. Thanks.
2: But, uh... Good night. The doctor was a little late. The police arrived and made noises and were very busy. Mona Walsh didn't pay attention to any of them. Barry? Yes, Lieutenant. We haven't been able to get a thing. A couple of the neighbors heard the shots but thought they were a car backfiring. That happens. Which gives us the time Mrs. Walsh and the character in the alley were killed. An hour and ten minutes ago. Does knowing that make you feel any better? With all the deaths you've seen, Barry, you ought to be a little more callous about new ones. Maybe I don't try hard enough. Stay the way you are. It's better. It's better. Otherwise you lose humanity. None of us can afford that. They teach you that in college? It's not taught anywhere. It's something you either know or don't know. Our policeman isn't supposed to give lectures, though, so.
0: Ted Walsh is out in the open now. He must have pulled up
2: for the last couple of weeks, but
4: uh, we know he's in New York now. We'll get him.
2: Yeah. Mind if I get out now? No. Where are you going? We could, uh, kill a few bears after I'm through here. Thanks, but not tonight, Trav. Because, you see, I... I won't be through for maybe, uh, longer than that. I wasn't holding out on, on Trav. I had to be sure. There was only one place I could think of that might help. If I were Ted Walsh, I'd go visit Harold... I wasn't Ted Walsh, but I went to visit him anyway. I always enjoyed driving. It was a nice night for it. The only thing wrong was uh, a red stain on a girl's dress. There was a car parked outside Harold's house. It started pulling away as I came up. I didn't try to figure out anything subtle. I just cut my wheel right into it. Both cars stopped quick. I was out of mine before Bogan could quite make it. But he made it out of his car. Hello, Bogan. Right, why don't you watch where you drive? Yeah,
4: me. Oh,
2: no, you don't want the gun, but I do. Now, you bitch. You'll wake the neighbor. Thanks for the gun.
4: Yeah.
2: Hey, warm. And it's been fired. Within very recent history. Now, listen. Let's see if there's anything else in your car, huh? No. Nothing that moves. Bogan? Yeah. I can't take the time to deliver you. I'll have to put you on deposit for a little while. He'd keep. I thought Mr. Harrell might still be at home. Worrying about his car, maybe. Bogan, what? Oh, Craig. we we'll go inside. Now, look here. I've got Bogan's gun. All right. What do you want? Your car's in a bad way. That crash? Yeah, I'm a careless driver. Was Bogan hurt? He lived. I, I'm going to call for a doctor for him. No.
1: Now, now look here. This is perfectly. True. You're uh, nervous.
2: I haven't anything further to say to you, Craig. One man's opinion, yours. I don't share it. You must have looked into the car. I did. Well, that can be explained easily. Explain it easily.
1: You saw Ted Walsh's body in the back of the car, he was a killer. He apparently thought his wife and I had been uh, a little too friendly. Had you? Well, you know how it is, Craig. I don't know. Well, anyway, he came here. Threatened to kill me, so... Well, Bogan beat him to it, that's all. It was a case of self-defense. It would stand up at any court. Sure. Oh, there's no reason to lose your
2: head. I haven't lost it. Where was Bogan delivering the body? To the aquarium?
1: Well, you see, Bogan's record isn't too good. He was afraid the police might not readily accept a plea of self-defense. He wanted to dispose of the body. I, Well, I tried to dissuade him, but
2: I failed. As a matter of fact, I was just about to notify the police myself. Oh, I'm sure you were. I think you'll find the bullets in Ted Walsh's body came from Bogan's gun. I don't doubt it. Well, then, that sort of leaves me out of it, doesn't it? How about the bullets in the body of the boy you sent to guard, Mona Walsh? How about the bullets in Mona Walsh's body? They're dead? They're dead.
1: Oh, that's terrible. Sure. Ted must have got to them. He had a gun. The bullets in those bodies would have come from his gun.
2: Don't you mean the gun you planted on him?
1: (laughs) Mr. Harold looked a little sick.
2: His face matched the way I felt. For a minute, I wished I'd developed those calluses Trav mentioned. Then I forgot about it. Mr. Harold retreated behind his desk. Planted on him? Ted Walsh came here before he went to visit his wife for his share of the bank money. Walsh died here. Bogan, sort of that. But you still didn't own all of that 60000 Mona Walsh might be considered to have a claim to half of it. So you decided to wipe out that claim. You're, you're dreaming. you headed for a house. You had to take care of the boy in the alley. Walsh would have had to in order to get to Mona. You took care of him. Then you went into the house and ended the partnership between you and Mona Walsh. No. Yeah. He came back here, planted the gun you'd used on Ted Walsh. Logan would dump his body where it wouldn't be found for a while. That way, no medical examiner could tell that Walsh had died before his wife. That's very clever. You've got nothing to prove it with. There's Ted Walsh's body. Examination now will show he died before Mona did. A good lawyer... I've got something else. Something that told me Ted Walsh hadn't killed his wife before I even came here. What's that? An unlocked door. I don't know what that means. Mona Walsh's door was unlocked when I got to her house. The lock hadn't been tampered with, which meant Mona had opened that door. But she wouldn't have opened it to her husband. She was afraid of him. She'd have opened it for you, Harold. I... You've been fumbling in that dust drawer long enough. Bring the gun up. Maybe you'll beat me to the shot, huh? I... I don't want to get involved. You're involved. There's nothing left except maybe a chance to take me. Well? Okay, Harold. You're better, much better at killing women. Let's go tell some cops about it, huh?
1: You've been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from The Adventures of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator... Tonight's story, The Long Way Home, was written by Lou Vitus. Next week, it's the strange story titled Dead Reckoning, about which Barry Craig has this to say.
2: Next week, matter triumphs over mind when a corpse with no head for figures starts pitching his weight around with yours truly playing catch. Good night, folks. See you next week.
1: In the role of Mona was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: One sure way to reduce the body beautiful and eliminate excess fat is horizontal living. Lie prone and don't blow your lid. Your coffin lid, that is.
1: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: Barry Craig speaking. A smart confidential cop keeps a straitjacket handy as standard office equipment. The time has to come when you want to rush a prospective client to Bellevue for observation. What else can you do when a guy pops in, tells you his name is Julius Caesar, and then without any further explanation, starts bawling like a baby? Julius Caesar, right out of Runyon. Pants under his hip line like a burle comic. A checkered vest with egg stains. And a face that could only advertise a meat grinder. Here, my handkerchief, dry your eyes. I only said to dry your eyes. (coughs) You through blubbering? Uh,
5: uh, Yeah.
2: What are you crying over? Cleo. Your dog? My wife. She ran off with a piano mover?
5: Would I be wearing this armband?
2: Oh, black armband. I'm sorry. You're a widower. No. You said she was your wife. Is my wife. She died and came back?
5: Cleo never died. Then why the mourning band? Cleo is going to die for sure. Some incurable disease? (laughs) You and me put together. Cleo is healthier.
2: Now I'm in utter confusion.
5: I was to a tea room. I didn't know they had pool tables and tea rooms. Look, I'm in there getting my fortune told. I'm going to lose Cleo, it says in the tea leaves. Cleo has got to go. What's going to kill her? Not what, who. That is what I want to know. You, maybe? chop off my arm, I wouldn't hurt Cleo. I love this doll. That's the uh, whole basis of your fears? Cleo didn't make out in the tea leaves? Let alone that. Someone has tried to get to her already.
2: Clear up, uh, get to her for me.
5: Rub her out. Depart Cleo from my midst.
2: Somebody tried to murder Cleo?
5: What was I saying? Don't you know? Okay, murder. Describe the attempt, Julius. Cleo has got a medicine for pep. A hangover had her down. So she took a swallow of this stuff. What was she drinking instead? Poison. Somebody had switched the bottles on Cleo.
2: That's the attempt?
5: No, I got a few more. This one, for instance. Coming down the stairs. Soap. Now her spine is out of whack. Cleo leans a little. To the right or left? Left. No, uh, right... No. Oh, I give up. <laughs> Who's
2: behind all the mayhem?
5: I wouldn't be here if I knew. Here. Three C's on account. I took a mortgage on the shop. Shop? Flowers. I run a flower shop over at Prince and Fort. For free, any time, I'll make you up a wreath. Oh, no thanks. Save it for Cleo. The biggest in town when Cleo goes, it'll need a Mack truck to haul it. Here, I'll, uh, I'll show you a picture of Cleo. In a bathing suit. Hmm. Where's the bathing suit? Bikini. That's a type suit. In the picture there, Cleo's in the contest. Contest? Yeah. Mrs. Apple Pie, 1952. This is a contest for married queens who can bake. Uh, a gent who manufactures the stuff, the pies, that is, Mr. Willoughby. He's, uh, he's sponsoring the contest. 20 grand. 20 grand? That's the first prize. How are Cleo's chances? You've seen her picture. Hmm, but I haven't tasted her pie. Smooth. It slides into your stomach. You don't even need no teeth. Cleo can't miss. Only, you see, that's what's going to get her knocked off.
2: The envious competition?
5: Yeah, them. Cleo's got to be stopped, somebody figures. Oh, please, don't leave me lose, huh?
2: Well, I'll do my best.
5: Where is Cleo now? Calamity House. That's a hotel. uh, The sponsor, Willoughby, rented out in Sheepshead Bay. The whole joint. Every contestant has got to stay there and take a turn in the kitchen,
2: baking pies
5: all week long. They judged them on the pies, and then they judged them on their looks.
2: Calamity House. Okay, Julius. You've whet my appetite. I'll go have myself a pie. (laughs) As it so happened, I ran into Cleo before I got to Calamity House and Apple Pie Heaven on the highway, going up an incline where a sign warned, Horseshoe Curve. Coincidence or destiny? I made a note to look up a mystic and ask him sometime. Anyhow, I hadn't made the top of the hill when a car flung around the upper level curve coming down toward me. A car out of control, it looked like. I brake to a dead stop. Runaway car whizzed past me. I got a photo look of a lady driver, and then came the crash. A car crash creates employment. Specialists pile in like grips at a sideshow. When the emergency squads got finished, I huddled with Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Trav had jumped at the chance to head out to Sheepshead Bay at the first radio flash. Trav liked the sea air. Cleo Odell was her name. Cleo Odell Caesar. Caesar? She was married to Julius Caesar. Her age didn't show. I'm not joking. No, you're not. All right, instruct me. Later. Meanwhile, uh, let's get down to the whys and wherefores of the accident. Negligent driving or inexperience coming down inclines or her brakes wouldn't work. Au revoir, Cleo Odell. No good, Trev. What's wrong with my reconstruction? The cuts and gashes on the victim's face and neck. You get badly marked up and cut, racing downhill into a crash? I examined the car. So did I. The safety glass cracked, but it didn't shred or splinter. Yes, that's so. I made a note of that, even wondered a bit. With no chips of glass flying about, how could she get cut up as she was? Another thing. Yes, Craig? If you checked over the corpse. I left that to Dr. Conway. I didn't. I satisfied myself. The bleeding from those cuts on her face and neck... They'd begun to dry. You're certain of that? I'm positive. They couldn't be fresh wounds sustained from the crash itself. Those cuts and gashes came earlier, before the bottom of the hill. You've mustered a pretty convincing story. You got a clincher. Come over to the wreck. Take a look at the gas accelerator. All right. So? Feel around it. It's wedged to the floorboard. What's wedging it? What? Oh wait. A pebble.
5: This pebble was wedging the gas accelerator.
2: I discovered that 20 minutes ago.
5: But I had two men, Muller and Wilson.
2: They missed the pebble. They weren't looking for evidence of foul play. No. Looked for all the world like a cut-and-dried vehicular accident. A car out of control, an unfortunate fatality. It was murder. Cleo O'Dell was beaten to death, beaten around the head and neck by a blunt instrument. That's where she got those cuts and gashes. The killer then sat her in the car,
5: rigged the gas accelerator by wedging it with this pebble, switched on the ignition, sent the car down the incline.
2: Trying for the perfect murder. In Calamity House, pattering about the main suite like a Maharaja, I found the contest sponsor and pie manufacturer, Mr. Willoughby. His Highness was wearing a scarlet lounging robe with a golden dragon growling across it. Uh, this, uh, tragedy, Mr. Craig, it casts a damper. Murder does that, Willoughby. Murder? What I thought? The first police flash was a mistake. Leah was beaten to death before she went joyriding down an incline. I'm bewildered. I, I cannot grasp. Let's stray from the corpse until your blood pressure can take it better. Answer me this. What were Cleo O'Dell's chances of pocketing your $20,000? Why, most excellent indeed. Her pies hit the spot?
1: They were outstanding. In the first four contest days, Cleo O'Dell had won 456 points. We have a point scoring system. Skip the intricacies.
2: Who was the runner-up? The missus closest to Cleo's 456. The contestant most likely to win, if not for Cleo. Why, uh, Louis LaRue... A point score so far, I believe, is uh, 372. Yes, 372. And the rest of the field? Oh, below 200. Their chances of forging ahead to victory are quite doubtful. Okay, then. Lois LaRue. Cleo alive could cost Lois $20,000. Surely you don't think... I'm only asking. Now, uh, about looks,
1: uh, shapes, how much rides with that? Physical beauty determines the winner only in the event that there is a close race between uh, two or three contestants. If the spread in points between Contestant 1 and 2, or 1 and 2 and 3, is less than 50... Less than
2: 50? Well, that ends that. Cleo is a mile ahead of everybody. Our runner-up and survivor, this Lois LaRue, is also miles ahead of the field. Yes. After Cleo Ordell, it appears the
1: award must go to
2: Lois LaRue. Who awards points? Or maybe let me say it this way... Who judges the quality of the pies and hands out the points? Uh, Why, uh, our judge, Mr. Cornell, uh, Vincent Cornell. Uh, Mr. Cornell is a well-known illustrator. Who appointed him judge? I did. If you're minded to impugn... Simmer down, Your Highness. I'm just acquainting myself with background. All right for me to go have myself a pie? Why, of course. Any number of them. The kitchen is on the basement level. Every pie is enriched with exclusive Willoughby ingredients... A secret miracle chemical, exclusive with Willow. Cut, you've got your plug in. You're keeping me from the pies. I loaded up on pies, and then I let Lois LaRue feed me vital statistics about herself. A brunette with hair of midnight black. And a cute nose that tilted at the tip like a ski jump. Her bathing suit made me feel overdressed. Lois looked like she'd been tipped off to my coming. She had soft lights and softer music going.
3: A drink, Mr. Craig?
2: No, thanks. And, uh, let's switch off the music, huh? Romance and murder mixed badly.
6: Oh, it was a terrible thing. Cleo had so much to live for.
2: There was a neat $20,000 in her future.
6: But you can't say that with certainty. The contest hasn't finished.
2: It was in the bag for Cleo. She was a mile ahead on points, ahead of you.
6: There are nine contestants here in Calamity House.
2: The other seven are hanging on for the exercise.
6: All right, I won't argue it. Except to say that I felt well, I felt I could win somehow.
2: And somehow you're going to, that's for sure.
6: I don't know how to take that.
2: Resent it if you can muster outraged innocence.
6: If I can why, of all the gone. Gold...
2: Ah, uh-uh, no throwing things. And don't throw music and curves at me, beautiful. I look at that utterly utter torso of yours. All I can see is a corpse. The corpse of Cleo Dell. Now, let's get businesslike.
6: Well, what do you expect of me?
2: Some insight into you. You're right up front in my gallery of suspects.
6: Merely because I was closest to winning after Cleo?
2: Because 20 grand is bait, and you look to me like hunger. Like you'd die if you lost the contest.
6: All right. I admit it. I am intense about winning. I don't dare lose. This contest isn't my gamble alone. They're investors. It's their gamble, too.
2: Investors, meaning...
6: Backers. My family and friends. They've shelled out every penny they could raise to dress me, pay for my photographs. Publicity. Miscellaneous expenses. I'm a corporate body. I've been cut into percentages, into pieces.
2: Familiar stuff, speaking of contests. How does your husband fit into the situation?
6: My husband?
2: This is a contest for married women only.
6: Oh, yes, my husband, Zach. Zach? Zach Foster. He, he manages me, too, represents me. Where is he? Oh, around. Zach floats around.
2: What is he, a balloon?
6: Oh, well, I, I mean, Zach can't be pinned down to a place, so to speak. He's on the move, making arrangements, contacts. Sometimes he's here at the hotel, other times somewhere else.
2: I see. Next time you see Zach, tell him to stay put long enough to exchange introductions with me. Tell him Barry Craig wants to talk to him. The absent husband, Zack, presented himself a little unexpectedly. I was down in the kitchen again, sinking my overjoyed molars into
7: more pies. You bury Craig? Wait till I check my driver's license. Put your hands up. Must I? Now, don't put your hands up. See if I can. Teacher, teacher. Oh, my God. Teach me what? To terrorize my wife. I talk better standing. I terrorized your wife, you say? No, Laroe? LaRue. I found her in hysterics, a poor kid. Crying her eyes out. You just left, she said. I'd talk to her, sure. You worked over her, like she was on trial. She must feel awfully guilty to have reacted like that. Watch that tongue, Craig. You can't throw murder accusations around and get away with it. Not with Zach Foster around, huh? Lois is sensitive. Like a cigar store Indian. She goes off her feet. She can't bake. She thins down because she can't eat or sleep. She loses a figure. She consequently loses the contest. Yeah. That's your game? To take the steam out of Lois? You working on the slide for some other contestant?
2: Uh-huh. You admit it. I'm working in the open for some other contestant. For Cleo O'Dell. Wise guy. Cleo O'Dell. Want to confess to murder her, maybe? Craig, I'm going to declare total war. You already declared it, chum. You fired the first shot. It's my turn now for a offense. Uh. I was up before the count of ten, chum. Let's see if you beat my time. One thing about a contest, Judge, he doesn't ever look the part. He looks nervous, like he's only doing the job because somebody's got a gun at his head. The illustrator, Vincent Cornell,
5: gave the standard impression. Oh, how I ever got into this thing. How did you? Mr. Willoughby requested me to judge the contest as a personal favor to him. Why should that move you? Well, Mr. Willoughby is an important advertiser in magazines I do illustrating for. It was... uh necessary goodwill that I...
2: And you did. Hmm. Now to the contest. Question. Has there been any undue pressure on you? Undue pressure? To influence you, get you to vote points, favor some one contestant. What
5: makes you think to ask that?
2: Since I don't see you blow an immediate fuse, it looks like my question is very much in order.
5: I... I have no answer for you.
2: Don't make me coax too hard. We're not just passing the time, Cornell. Yes, I I know the seriousness, the
5: enormity, Miss O'Dell. The recent Miss O'Dell. I, I can't afford to get involved and get mixed up. A scandal could be troublesome to me professionally. Pursue your investigation in some other manner. Interrogate the others and good luck to you. I, I simply will not be involved and I'll say nothing. In fact, I'm I'm resigning as judge at once.
2: Come off it, Cornell. You can resign all over the lot, but you're still going to find things troublesome. What, what do you mean? Late hours in a certain room in police headquarters. There'll be 20 guys packed around, with you the center of attraction. How do you sleep sitting up in a straight chair? Mr. Craig, I, I'm confused. Tell what you know and watch the confusion evaporate. Undue influence. What about it?
5: Well... I found myself pressed to favor Cleo O'Dell. Cleo O'Dell? You seem surprised. Yeah,
2: I thought any pressure on you would be on behalf of the runner-up, Lois LaRue, that nice husband of hers, so-called Zach Foster.
5: No, no, there there were no overtures made to me, no pressure or prompting for Lois LaRue, only for the late Cleo O'Dell. I... uh, In fact, uh, uh, questioned some 200 points I awarded her. In thinking it over later, I felt I was, uh, well, influenced. Who pressured you? Mind you, it it wasn't overt. It it was something subtle, more insidious. Say, a a, a notion cleverly planted in my thinking, a a bias. Never mind how it was done. Who pressured you? I'm... I'm... Cornell! I'm a bit shot.
2: Yeah, Someone outside your window aiming a rifle. How bad is it? <coughs> it
5: hurts. Go sees...
2: Can't. I've got to lie here flat beside you and keep my fingers crossed. There's a second shot coming. That was for me. Insurance in case I'd gotten the whole story out of you. Name who pressured you for Cleo. Cornell. Cornell. Not much point questioning a corpse. Murder to shut Cornell up. A rifleman with a nice sense of timing. The search outside the window turned up nothing. Except an overturned flower pot. No footprints. You don't find any on flagstone. The search of the grounds reintroduced me to my client, Julius. <laughs> Julius was sitting on the edge of a goldfish pond, crying into it. I loaned you my one good handkerchief this morning.
5: I got it here in my pocket.
2: Uh, be my guest. Blow your nose. you really got something to blubber about now. No kidding this time.
5: I won't never stop crying.
2: Do it someplace else. You've got the fish pond overflowing.
5: I lost Cleo.
2: Cleo lost more. What brings you here to Calamity House?
5: To see you. I got things to talk over.
2: Where did you park your BB gun? I I don't get you. How long have you been squatting down here? Ten minutes. Then you heard two rifle shots? No. Like peals of thunder and with breaking glass. What are you, stone
5: deaf? No. No what? Not stone deaf, but I don't hear good. I once got a drafty from it because I don't hear good.
2: Oh, Julius,
5: you kill me. Wouldn't I like to? Repeat that, please. For losing me, Cleo. Craig, they're going to pin it on me. Lay Cleo's miter to me. On what ground? Fifteen grand. Double indemnity. That makes thirty. Thirty thousand dollars? You carried insurance on Cleo? Yeah. Double if Cleo went in an accident, like a train or a car.
2: A policy that size is suspicious. All of a sudden, I even suspect you myself, Julius. Oh, don't
5: say that. Are there any other suspicious circumstances wrapped around that policy? Yeah, there are. You see, I got the policy only two weeks before...
2: Two weeks before Cleo went down the incline? Yeah. Two weeks before this afternoon? Yeah, that's what. Cleo was murdered and the killer tried awfully hard to make it look like an accident. A vehicular accident.
5: Looks bad for me, huh?
2: I can practically see you in the electric chair.
5: Oh, Craig, don't say that.
2: Get him like Julius and get your funny bone tickled While a client maybe fits you for a pair of horns A comic character, friend Julius weak in the head But what was so dumb about 15 grand Double indemnity equals 30 To me it qualified Julius as a genius And maybe even a murderer when a confidential cop stuck for an answer, he reaches into his bag for a trick, like I did. My trick was to conceal evidence of murder. The illustrator and recent contest judge, Cornell. I decided to let him spend the first hour or so of the hereafter in a closed closet. A corpse in a closet and uh, a locked room. In case people wanted about a little too freely in Calamity House... I made myself conspicuously available in Calamity House, the main lobby. I couldn't be missed by anybody. Even a blind man could reach me by the odor of my cigar. The first gent to buttonhole me was Zach Foster, looking as if it was quite an effort to come up and talk to me.
7: Craig? Zach. Uh, okay to talk to you? Is it round two? No war's over, as far as I'm concerned. Anyhow, I... Peace. It's wonderful. Oh, f- frankly, I, I'm frightened stiff. Of what? Well, you mainly. The the way you go about things. And the slant you're working on. How Cleo O'Dell died. Who killed her and why. Did you? No. But it might fit. You might make it fit. That's why I'm scared. For me and a kid. Who's the kid? Lois. You see... You're about to make a confession. Yeah. A confession is something I think you've already guessed. That you're not married to Lois. You did guess. No. We're in a contest on false pretenses. We don't qualify. Lois is single. I promoted her into the lie. I got her to go along with the swindle. Make out she was a Mrs. Mrs. Zach Foster. You've just talked yourself out of 20 grand. Yeah, I know. I'm scared off. I don't want a rap we don't rate. The murder of Cleo Dill can't laid to us. Now what, Zach? I'm going to locate the contest, Judge Cornell. And make a clean breast. Tell him what I just told you. Why Lois LaRue should be disqualified. Then I'm going to clear out. Uh, I mean, if it's okay with you. It's okay with me.
2: You've just cleared yourself, all right, in a bigger way than you suspect. But stick around a while, anyhow. I stuck it out in the main lobby of Calamity House... behind a cigar... conspicuously available to all comers. The next arrival to claim my ear was the Maharaja himself... the contest sponsor, Willoughby. No purple dressing gown this time... The only thing purple on him
1: was his face. Craig. Your Highness. I've been embarrassed and distressed. The Willoughby name has become infamous. The contest has been scandalized. I've become notorious.
2: Relax, Willoughby.
1: Relax, you say? With this, this succession of outrages? I disavow the contest. I'll scuttle
2: it. Simmer down. You're raising your blood pressure. This
1: apathy in you, this idiotic calm, with two murders crying out for justice... Mr. Craig, I find you
2: offensive. And I find you guilty. What's that? Guilty. What nonsense is this? You just convicted yourself. Two murders, you said. Cleo Odell is one. Who's number two? Why, Vincent Cornell. Correct. But only the murderer could know that. Only the murderer? There's been no, uh, advertising of Cornell's fate. I've got him in a clothes closet. His death is a secret two people share, me and the killer. That's you. You can clam up, or you can talk. Whatever your motive was, it can wait. I can wait. But you're licked. Two murders. You did them both.
1: Yes. I did them both. Cleo Odell, because she knew me when we met, she recognized me. An ugly and untalented person. I was forced to see that she won our contest.
2: And after victory, I knew there'd be other blackmail, other tribute to pay. I didn't dispose of her first. What did Cleo have on you? An
7: unsolved murder. In the long ago past. Seventeen years ago. My wife, I'd struck her fatally in the heat of a quarrel. I'd fled, left town... And later resumed my life elsewhere.
1: Here in New York with a new name. Cleo Wodell was a Janet Tyler in her teens then. The daughter of an ex-door neighbor in our town.
2: Ironic twist. Cleo showing up in your contest 17 years later. You're escaping the police in all that time, but running afoul of Cleo. My retribution. I'd have to pay for my crime
7: sometime, I knew. I always knew. Cornell. Why did he have to die? Cornell could tell you that I had influenced him. The favor, Cleo. You see, I'd agreed to blackmail
2: before. Before you decided that the only good blackmailer was a dead blackmailer. Yes. I wasn't at first aware of the lady's avarice. But I would be a captive forever. Case solved. You're under arrest for murder. Murder new and old. Now, who was it who said your sins will find you out?
1: You've been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Murder by Threes, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story titled Dead Loss, about which Barry Craig has this to say.
2: Next week, a man comes to visit me six months after he's buried. A lady dies long after she's dead. And a beautiful young girl does what? Good night, folks. See you next week.
1: Featured in the role of Lois was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig confidential investigator.
2: I knew a man once who thought epitaphs were the noblest form of literature. I like them too. It's the one place
0: where they say only nice things. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Reviews are always appreciated, so if you have a moment, please do stop and send us one. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.